Uh, we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and um, this slide here is a picture actually of modern-day Thessalonica. It's actually called Thessaloniki in Greek, but it uh, looks like a pretty beautiful place. Title for my sermon today is Paul's Summertime Blues Cured, and the subtitle is Three Responses of a Faithful Shepherd to News of Afflicted Sheep. In 1958, a young man named Eddie Cochran recorded a song, and the lyrics of that song have become part of our American lexicon. Later in 1958, that song was released and actually peaked at number eight in the U.S. charts. That song was about a young man, a kid actually, who was trying to earn a little bit of pocket money with a job so he could have a little bit of fun, take his girlfriend out on a date, and the problem was his boss kept scheduling his shift so he could never take his girlfriend out on a date. So he actually lied about being sick so he didn't have to go to work thinking, okay, now I'll be able to take my girlfriend out on a date. But his parents thought he was being lazy when he wasn't going to work and they wouldn't let him use the car. So he still couldn't take his girlfriend out on a date and he was very upset about that. So... This young man decides he's going to write his congressman a letter about his problems, about his difficulties, about his challenges, and the congressman brushes him off because this young man's not yet of voting age. So this song is about this young man's frustration and the memorable line from the song, my title of the sermon's a dead giveaway, does anyone know what it is? There ain't no cure for the summertime blues. That was Eddie Cochran. Well, in AD 50 or 51, during that summer, the Apostle Paul had a case of the summertime blues. You know, Paul and his team were on their, it was the second missionary journey, and Paul and his team were actually at this point suffering for the faithful proclamation of the gospel through Macedonia, and the people that they were proclaiming the gospel to, in particular the Thessalonians where we are, were also suffering affliction or pressure because of their newfound faith as a result of Paul and his team's preaching of the gospel. So in just review, Paul and his team began, Paul, Silas, and Timothy really came to Philippi in Acts chapter 16, and they had a ministry there. They left Philippi, and eventually at the beginning of Acts chapter 17, wound up in Thessalonica, and they started there in the synagogues preaching the gospel for three consecutive Sabbaths, and there was a positive response. People were embracing the gospel, but there was also a lot of hostility. And the Jews in the town of Thessalonica, actually, as we, Lance took us through some of the background and context when we first started First Thessalonians, but the Jews in town actually essentially recruited people who were just kind of hanging around to form a mob, start an uproar, get the city officials upset, and it resulted in Paul and Silas and Timothy getting run out of town. So, and they were only there for a short time. They were probably there for more than three Sabbaths, but it certainly wasn't more than several months. And there were definitely some converts there, and, um, but they got run out of town. And the next place they go on our map, I wish I had a laser pointer, but it was kind of working. Philippi is at the top in the middle. Thessalonica, you work a little bit more toward the left. And if you continue on from Thessalonica, Paul and his team wound up in Berea. 
And we're familiar with the Bereans, the noble Bereans from Acts chapter 17, verse 11. They were the ones who searched the scriptures to make sure that what Paul was teaching was accurate according to the scriptures. Well, that same group of Jews and the mob that they whipped up actually followed Paul and his team to Berea and got Paul run out of town there. Silas and Paul was clearly the front man for the ministry, so to speak. And Silas and Timothy did not get run out of town, but Paul was sort of escorted out of Berea. And he says, I'm going to head to Athens in Acts 17, 14, and 15. And before he's leaving, he says to the people who are around Silas and Timothy, make sure my guys come and meet me in Athens. You know, and Paul's ministry in Thessalonica in particular, 1 Thessalonians 1, 6 they, the Thessalonians, it says they receive the word in much tribulation, in much affliction, in much pressure. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says Paul shared the gospel with the Thessalonians amid much opposition. There was a lot of challenge, a lot of difficulty there. They were ministering the gospel. They were getting a good response from some of the folks there, some Jews, some God-fearing Gentiles. But it was just a lot of opposition, a lot of hostility. And if you drop into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, where Lance was last week, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, picking up in verse 14, basically the Thessalonians, Paul says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. So there is this hostility There is from the Jews. There is this oppression, this, this suffering that they're from their own countrymen, from the Gentiles. We got some birds in here? Um, anyways, the uh, Gentiles in Thessalonica were also... Uh, persecuting and hassling the new converts in Thessalonica. What they were basically doing was they were attacking Paul's ministry. They were saying, this guy, Paul, you can't take him seriously. Look, he just bailed out of town. He hasn't come back. He doesn't care about you. Look at all the trouble he's in. You know, the Greeks and their small g gods, they're like, our small g gods aren't showing him any favor. He's in trouble. Why would you want to follow that guy? Come back to paganism. Come back to that idolatry that you walked away from when you heard the gospel. So that's what the Gentiles were doing to these Thessalonians who had heard the gospel, many of whom who had believed. And Paul clearly wanted to go back and minister to them. So Paul left Berea and actually went down to Athens. So if you kind of work your way along the Greek coast from Berea, Athens is toward the bottom, right in the middle of the slide there. And Paul's down in Athens, and, and, and eventually Silas and Timothy come back and meet him there. So Paul's sitting in Athens. He clearly wants to go back to them. He's worried about the Thessalonians. You know, they, they got run out of town before they were able to lay the complete foundation, before they were able to fully equip them to take care of themselves and have their own churches. You know, in Paul's ministry plan, or his model, if you will, in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, when he and Barnabas were about to leave on the second missionary journey, Paul basically says, let's go, 
Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word and see how they are. That was, that was Paul's ministry model. He would build, you know, go proclaim the gospel, equip and train people. He would be gone, but he wanted to come back and follow up and check on people, see how they were doing. Good discipleship, good shepherding. But Paul wanted to go back and see the Thessalonians from Athens, but he couldn't. And what were the reasons for that? In the handout, I have a very detailed background, as you can see. I'm kind of working through it. But the, the, the reasons in review, point three, the Jews and this mob that they whipped up, they had run them out of town in Thessalonica and Berea. The Gentiles, as I said, were persecuting the Thessalonians, enticing them back or trying to entice them back to paganism. One of the things that also happened was there was a convert named Jason in Thessalonica. And when all this uproar started, the city officials made him post a bond or like a security deposit so that if Paul and his team came back and there were problems, you know the city officials would take that security deposit, of course. So maybe Paul was a little bit concerned about that. I'm not sure that was forefront of his mind, but it is a fact of note. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, this really nails it down. 1 Thessalonians 2.18 for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Satan was behind all that, the hostility of the Jews, the affliction and pressure and persecution and enticement from the Gentiles, all the difficulties and um, in one way or another. But even so, in 1 Thessalonians, at, through this point in the book, chapters 1 and 2, there's actually been a lot of good news about the Thessalonian believers, their love for the Apostle Paul and his team, their love for one another, their witnessing and their, their being known as a positive witness in Macedonia and Achaia, the word sounded forth from them, even while they were going, undergoing all this pressure and affliction. One key contextual fact I want to bring to mind, though, is that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul is writing, likely when he was sitting in Athens, concerned about the Thessalonians, he is now writing back to the Thessalonians later, recounting kind of his mindset at the time, what he was thinking, what he was going through, what his concerns were, what he was doing. So it's important to keep that in mind that he is kind of looking back as he's now writing this letter. As we will see, Paul eventually went to Corinth, and from Athens, he sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to find out what was going on, to help those believers there. And it's only after Timothy came back that he actually, Paul actually wrote the letter of 1 Thessalonians. That's why there's so much good news in there. But here in first, uh, chapter 3, as we sit here this morning, Paul is looking back and recounting his mindset prior to sending Timothy back, and even while he was waiting for Timothy to convey what was going on in his mind and in his heart as a shepherd. He was deeply concerned about their faith, as Paul was always feeling the pressure of daily concern for all the churches, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty eight. So when Paul sent Timothy back to Thessalonica to see what was going on and to minister to them, he had a serious case of the summertime blues. And the question is whether or not those blues would be cured. The more serious theological question is, how does a faithful church leader or a faithful shepherd respond to a flock that is undergoing persecution? 
Well, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, Paul's deep concern for the afflicted Thessalonian believers' faith and spiritual well-being prompted three responses regarding those afflicted sheep that should be evident in every faithful shepherd. More specifically, a faithful church leader or shepherd's responses to afflicted sheep should include active concern for the faith of the afflicted sheep. Second, they should include abundant comfort and joy at good news of the spiritual health of the afflicted sheep. And third, act, uh, excuse me, anticipated completion of the feeding and training of the afflicted sheep. So let's open our Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 if you're not already there, and we'll read verses 1 to 10. 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 to 10. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it has come to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I, Paul, could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith, for fear that the tempter might have tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you, for this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. And for now, we really live if you stand firm in the Lord." For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So first response of a faithful shepherd to afflicted sheep is active concern for the faith of the afflicted sheep. And we see this in Paul's active concern for the Thessalonians' faith. You know, Paul had not just active concern, his concern was agonizing. Look at verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians 3. Therefore, in light of all this affliction and hostility going on, after we had been run out of town, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. When we could endure it no longer, when we couldn't take it anymore, not knowing how you Thessalonians were doing because we got booted out of town. We had no idea how your faith was doing. And Paul had agonizing concern when we could endure it no longer. And so he says, we thought it best, he and the team, he was with Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to be left behind at Athens alone. So they stayed in Athens. Verse 2, and second point, under active concern for the faith of the afflicted sheep, Paul's commission of Timothy. Paul's commission of Timothy. And this is verses 2 and the beginning of verse 3. 
And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. So there's a few things here. First of all, they sent Timothy. And he doesn't just refer to Timothy as some, you know, some low-level guy, some, some, somebody who's not very important. He says, Timothy, our brother, our brother in Christ, someone who is dear to us, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ. Timothy is a chosen servant of Christ in gospel ministry. He is Paul's brother, Silas's brother, and God's fellow worker. He's working with God in the gospel of Christ. You know, and in other passages in the New Testament, Paul refers to Timothy as 1 Timothy 1-2, my true child in the faith. 2 Timothy 1-2, my beloved son. Romans 16-21, my fellow worker. 1 Corinthians 16.10, Timothy is doing the Lord's work. So this was an important person. Paul didn't just send some low-level guy that's part of the team back to Thessalonica. He sent someone back who was very important to him, not only manifesting his agonizing concern for them, but this is active concern. Paul didn't just sit back, say, you know, we can't go back there. I don't know what we're going to do. We'll just trust God and that's it and just let it go. Well, his ministry was not a let go and let God ministry. His ministry was, we're going to do something about that. You know, we heard about this yesterday at the Faithful Stewards Conference that ministry has to be a very active thing. We have to be intentional in our ministries. And Paul clearly was here. He had active concern for the faith of the Thessalonians by commissioning a very important part of his team. And as I mentioned before, Acts 15.36, Paul routinely wanted to go back to places they had been and check on people. So it was too dangerous, really, for Paul to go, so he commissioned Timothy to go. Now, in terms of Paul's active concern for the faith of the Thessalonians, oh, this is a little map. I drew this little green arrow in here, Timothy going from Athens back to Thessalonica. So there you have it. Third point under active concern for the faith of the afflicted sheep is Paul's caution regarding affliction. In verses second half of verse 3 and verse 4, Paul reminds the Thessalonians that this was to be expected. He says, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we are going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass as you know. So Paul has now sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage, to exhort the Thessalonians as to their faith. This was not a mercy ministry. There's nothing wrong with mercy ministries, but this was a ministry about the Thessalonians' faith. And as part of his active concern, he reminds the Thessalonians that we had cautioned you about this. We had cautioned you that we have been destined for these afflictions. The word affliction is like a word that means a tight spot or pressure or a narrow space. We've been, as Christians, destined for that. This is standard operating procedure for faithful biblical Christians is that affliction will come. And he says, we, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction, and so it came to pass. It sure has, as you know. Even today in our world, we, you know, we're here in the United States. Ostensibly, we still have freedom of religion. We're here in Texas where we do have freedom of religion. And 
you know, but there are things that happen. You know, if you're a Christian baker and a same-sex couple comes in and asks you to make a cake for their wedding, and you very politely say, you know, I, I can't do that. It's against my sincerely held religious beliefs. I'm a Christian. I just can't do that. There's a great bakery down the street. I'm sure they'd be happy to help you. Good luck with everything. Well, guess what? They'll get slapped with a lawsuit. Or how about a football coach in the state of Washington who kneels for prayer after a football game and gets fired? Well, that case went all the way to the Supreme Court. Isn't that right, John? And uh, John Manning. And uh, that got reversed, which is great. So at least the Supreme Court wants to try to defend religious liberty a little bit. The point being, though, is this is our lot in life. Standard operating procedure as Christians in so many subtle ways and major ways. And Paul was reminding the Thessalonians that he warned them about this already. It was standard operating procedure. Our brother Lance mentioned... Uh, 2 Timothy 3.12, last week, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. We know that in Acts 14.22, we only reach the kingdom of heaven through much tribulation. The end of the Beatitudes, Jesus mentions persecution for our faith in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. So, Paul's active concern for the Thessalonians included his agonizing concern, his taking action, commissioning Timothy, reminding the Thessalonians that he had warned them about this. And think about it. If you're a Christian and you're undergoing persecution, it may not be fun, but it's probably a good sign about your faith that someone thinks you're a Christian and, and that's what they're going to do. You know, if you're not really looking any different than the world, the world's not going to persecute you. So the Thessalonians were clearly becoming distinct after Paul witnessed to them in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 and following. So as far as the act of concern for the faith of the afflicted sheep, one more thing, and this was Paul's personal concern about the Thessalonians' faith. The Gentiles that were hassling the Thessalonians and attacking Paul and attacking the integrity of his ministry, this guy doesn't care about you. He's, he left. He's not coming back. He's not, that ministry's not serious. Why would you want to follow him? Well, the fact is, here in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 3, verse 5, Paul, in a sense, is in a bit of an apologetic responding to those accusations, but also reaffirming his serious concern about the Thessalonians. He says, for this reason, verse 5, when I could endure it no longer, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. You know, in verses 1 and 2, when we could endure it no longer, we sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith. That's directed to believers for sure, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith as you're undergoing all these afflictions so that you wouldn't be enticed by these afflictions. That word in verse 3, disturbed, could be deceived or misled or enticed. The Gentiles were trying to entice or, or mislead the Thessalonians to come back into paganism. So that was Paul's concern and, and the team. But here in verse 5, Paul says, I could endure it no longer. And I sent to find out about your faith, which is a little different than strengthen and encourage your faith. The likelihood is, is that Paul and his team 
really firmly believed that there were true believers that had come to faith during their ministry, however short it was, in Thessalonica. But there were others maybe they weren't so sure of. Not that they had doubts necessarily, but they were so new. These were new believers. Another reason why Paul had so much concern. And his fear was that Satan would have tempted them and their labor in going there and ministering the gospel would be in vain. So this, this actually makes me think about the parable of the soils a little bit, where Jesus in Matthew chapter 13, let's turn there and read it. Matthew chapter 13, this gives a little bit more of a picture of what the situation may have looked like on the ground in Thessalonica in terms of the gospel and people's faith. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 1 That day when Jesus went out of the house and was sitting by the sea and large crowds gathered to him, so he got in a boat and sat down and the whole crowd was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables saying, behold, the sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell beside the road and birds came and ate them up. Others fell on the rocky places where they did not have much soil And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among the thorns and the thorns came up and choked them out. Others fell on the good soil and yielded a crop. Some a hundredfold, some 60 and some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. Now let's drop down to verse 18 and continue. This is Jesus interpreting the parable. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And, on the, one, and the one on whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So Paul may have been thinking, yes, there were definitely true believers as a result of our ministry in Thessalonica. We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith. But he is also sent Timothy back. He was very concerned that he sent Timothy back in verse 5 of 1 Thessalonians 3 to find out about their faith for fear that the tempter may have tempted them and our labor would be in vain. Paul's concern was that there was either rocky soil or thorny soil among some of the people they ministered to. And so Paul sent Timothy back to look into that as well. So a faithful shepherd's first response to news of afflicted sheep is active concern for the faith of the afflicted sheep as Paul had active concern for the Thessalonians' faith. Secondly, a response, second response of a faithful shepherd to afflicted sheep is abundant comfort and joy at news of the spiritual health of the afflicted sheep. So 
Paul is in Athens. He probably moved on to Corinth. In between the bottoms of the two green arrows, there's a little sort of purple arrow that shows Paul and, and probably Silas going from Athens to Corinth while Timothy was in Thessalonica. And eventually, Timothy returns to meet them in Corinth and let them know what he found out. But during that time, Paul was extremely concerned, agonizing concern about the Thessalonians and their faith, as we have talked about. He had a case of the summertime blues. But when Timothy comes back, we have confirmation of the good news. Verse 6, let's break it down. 1 Thessalonians 3, 6, but... Always a great word to take note of in your Bible reading, the word but. It's like a reversal or a, or a contrast. But in contrast to our agonizing concern where we could endure it no longer, now at the present time, Timothy has come to us in Corinth from you Thessalonians and has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. This is Timothy returning and having confirmation of good news. That word good news there is the same root word that we would use for gospel. It is good news of the Thessalonians' faith and love. So this was good news to Paul and the team's heart. And, you know, again, the Gentiles that were ragging on Paul's ministry, trying to entice the Thessalonians away from him, saying all kinds of bad things, it was also encouraging to Paul that, to hear that you, Thessalonians, always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. So Paul receives this confirmation of good news. It produces comfort in him. And in, as a result uh, or in response to the agonizing concern that he was experiencing while he was in a Athens and then moving on to Corinth. So in terms of the abundant comfort and joy that a faithful shepherd receives at news of the spiritual health of the afflicted sheep, we also see more directly in verses 7 and 8 the comfort and the joy that Paul received from this good news, the comfort and the joy that Paul received from this good news. So verse seven, for this reason, Timothy coming back, bringing the good news after all that concern they had experienced. For this reason, brethren, speaking to the Thessalonians, in all our distress and affliction. So in terms of the kind of concern that Paul and his team had, Paul describes it himself, distress and affliction. They were really struggling to wonder what was going on with the Thessalonians. Timothy returns, he brings good news, and in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. Key point to also note in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 1 through 10, your faith is mentioned five times, referring to the Thessalonians' faith. It is really the glue that holds this passage together. The faith that Paul was concerned about. Did they have it? How many of them had it? And then Timothy was sent to strengthen and encourage them as to their faith. Paul sent Timothy also to just find out about their faith. Was it real in many instances? And here, Paul receives comfort and joy from that good news about the Thessalonians' faith and love and that they always thought kindly of Paul and his team, longed to see them. And it was because of the Thessalonians' faith 
that Paul derived comfort. You know, the Apostle John in 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than this to hear of my children walking in the truth. And I think the Apostle Paul was the same way. It brought him great comfort and great joy to know that those he had ministered to and those he had witnessed to were walking in the truth. And in verse 8, the comfort really goes beyond comfort to full-blown joy. It says, for now we really live if you stand firm in the faith. Now, granted, this verse has challenged commentators a little bit on what they think it means. In context, the best interpretation seems to be that we can joyfully, exuberantly, excitedly live since or because you are standing firm in the Lord. This is part of Paul's comfort and his joy and his, and his excitement now. He went from anxiety to delight, from the concern to now having this great joy, this real exuberance because the Thessalonians are standing firm in the faith. And I would say, in response to our original sort of um, semi-silly question, were Paul's summertime blues going to be cured? Absolutely. When Timothy returned with that good news, Paul was comforted and he was rejoicing and his summertime blues were cured. Third point under this abundant comfort and joy at this good news of the spiritual health of the Thessalonians, the afflicted sheep. And this is verse 9. And this is a celebration of God for that good news. A celebration of God for that good news. For This is the Apostle Paul, and I, I would characterize this as almost, you know, we know what a rhetorical question is. It's when a question that sort of uh, just asking the question gives you the answer. I would call this rhetorical praise, rhetorical praise. It is a question. It is a rhetorical question, but listen to this. Verse 9, for what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? So Paul is saying, what thanks can we give to God for you Thessalonians in return for to repay? That's the same word that's in uh, Romans 12, 19. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, declares the Lord. So Paul is saying, what thanks can we render to God for all this great news? What thanks can we render to God to repay him for all this joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? The answer is you can't. We can't repay God for the, for the grace and the mercy and the joy he allows to flow into our life through his providence. That is just... Paul is really just celebrating God here, thanking God, praising God. He's joyful. He's gone from anxiety to delight. His summertime blues about the Thessalonians were definitely cured. So a faithful shepherd's first response to news of afflicted sheep is active concern for the faith of the afflicted sheep as Paul had active concern for the Thessalonians' faith. A faithful shepherd's second response to news of the afflicted sheep is that abundant comfort and joy at the good news of the spiritual health of the afflicted sheep as we see Paul enjoying when he received good news 
about the Thessalonians. And third, third response of a faithful shepherd to afflicted sheep is anticipated completion of the feeding and training of the afflicted sheep. And we see this in Paul's anticipated completion of the Thessalonians' faith. Let's look at verse 10. I'll show you what I mean. So in the context of this rhetorical praise, if you will, actually, let's pick it up in verse 9. For what thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So as Paul is gushing with gratitude and joy over the Thessalonians' faith, his praise turns to prayer in terms of what he hopes to do and hopes to do for the Thessalonians. Paul is not actually praying in verse 10. He is reporting on what the team prays. Stick around next week. We'll be talking about Paul's actual prayer in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 11 to 13. Here in verse 10, he is just reporting to the Thessalonians what they've been praying for uh, the, the Thessalonians. And the, the first thing to look at in terms of this anticipated completion of the feeding and training of the afflicted sheep is the consistency of Paul's prayers for the Thessalonians. The consistency of Paul's prayers for the Thessalonians. He says, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly. So we have consistency night and day. And there's also a frequency to that. There is a regularity to that. Night and day, we keep praying. That's a very active, it's an ongoing thing. It's not like they're doing it 24-7, but it's a very frequent, very consistent, very regular praying for them. And they're praying most earnestly. That phrase, keep praying most earnestly, can be translated exceedingly imploring, exceedingly imploring. This is night and day, Paul and the team fervently regularly, consistently praying for the Thessalonians that what, number one, and this is the content of Paul's prayers for the Thessalonians, the content of Paul's prayers for the Thessalonians. Number one, they're praying that we may see your face, that we may return to Thessalonica, that we can come back to you. You know, an illustration that I think is helpful have people in the, here taken the fundamentals of faith class in the church or maybe in another church, maybe a few of us? So fundamentals of faith, it's like a 20-week class and you go over the word of God, the attributes of God, the person and work of Jesus Christ, you know, justification by faith, doctrines of salvation, and other things that are foundational to our faith as Christians. And it's as if Paul and his team went to Thessalonica at the beginning of Acts 17 and they started teaching an FOF class and halfway through the class, they got kicked out of town. And there was no one to take over the class. They didn't know what was going on with the students. And here, Paul is praying, we want to come back. We want to finish the class with you guys. And he doesn't just want to finish that class. He wants to complete what is lacking in your faith. So when I say anticipated completion, Paul's praying for this. He wants to go back. He hopes to go back and complete or supply or equip or train them about what is lacking in their faith. Paul and his team were in Thessalonica for maybe three, four months, somewhere in that vicinity, not a long time. And those were all unbelievers when he got there. 
So these were brand new believers. They didn't have all the details of the gospel in depth and all the details of the Christian life beyond salvation. And because Paul and his team were only there for a short time, they didn't have a MacArthur study Bible or a New Testament. They could just open up and read stuff and figure out what was going on. They needed to be equipped. They needed to be supplied with what was lacking in their faith. You know, solid teaching. You know, in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul refers to milk and then solid food. They had gotten some milk and maybe a little bit of solid food, but, you know, Paul wanted to give them the, uh, you know, 36-ounce porterhouse. And um, he wanted to give it all to them and train them and equip them. As it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he wanted to equip the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to a measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. That was Paul's longing with respect to the Thessalonians. That's what he prayed for. That was Paul's longing with respect to everybody he ministered to, everybody who was under his spiritual care. Now, just looking at verse 10, is that how you pray for other people fervently and consistently? Do you passionately and earnestly pray for the spiritual well-being of those under your spiritual care? And that could be your family, that could be your children, that could be a small group here at the church, that could be one-on-one discipleship, that could be a larger group like this, that could be the entire church. It applies to all of us at some level. Do we fervently and consistently pray for the spiritual well-being of those entrusted to our spiritual care that we are shepherds to or stewards of? Hopefully we do. A faithful shepherd's first response to news of afflicted sheep is active concern for the faith of the afflicted sheep as Paul had active concern for the Thessalonians' faith. A faithful shepherd's second response to news of the afflicted sheep is abundant comfort and joy when there's good news of their spiritual health as Paul had with the Thessalonians after Timothy returned. And a faithful shepherd's third response to news of afflicted sheep is anticipated completion at continuing to feed and train and equip those afflicted sheep as Paul longed to do and hoped he would be able to do with the Thessalonians. Do you have a passionate concern for the spiritual well-being of those under your spiritual care, especially if they're undergoing trials and afflictions? You know, we, we have folks in our class who are undergoing a lot of challenges right now. Are we showing spiritual concern for them, active spiritual concern? We don't want to be like in James or so, go and be fed and be well. No, we actually want to take action to pray with people, to help people, to encourage people, like Paul did when he sent Timothy to Thessalonica. You know, we can be comforted, and we should be comforted and joyful when there's good news about people we're working with, that they're progressing in the faith. We can praise the Lord for that and thank the Lord for that, for his grace and his mercy in helping us. We are all just you know, feeble ministers that but for the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the word of God, there's not a lot we can do. 
So anytime anybody we are working with to encourage or help or disciple or whatever it is, if there's good news, rejoice in that, like Paul did when he got the good news about the Thessalonians. And as I said before, let's make sure we're praying for one another for our spiritual well-being as much as the, the medical issues and other things that go on. It's all good and well to pray for that, absolutely. But we need to pray for each other's spiritual well-being as Paul did. That was his focus. It was, it was strictly about your faith, as it says five times in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. In conclusion, Paul was a true, genuinely concerned, extremely passionate pastor, teacher, and shepherd, and missionary, and church planter. His passion, especially for those who were being persecuted, may have come from the fact that he knew better than anybody what persecution did to God's people because he was the chief persecutor before he was converted. But ultimately, his passion for the spiritual well-being of the people that he ministered to is rooted in his love for the Lord Jesus Christ and the grace that Jesus showed him when he saved his soul on the Damascus Road. For any of us in spiritual leadership in this room, shepherding other people, having stewardship, whether it's our families, one-on-one, small groups, large groups, whatever it may be, may our passion for the spiritual well-being of those entrusted to our care be like that of the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul's was like that because he learned it from our perfect example. The good shepherd, the chief shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, the shepherd and guardian of our souls, our Lord Jesus Christ, who loved us and gave himself for us. So let's pray, and um, I know we have something after. So Heavenly Father, we just come before you and just overwhelmed by the passion of the Apostle Paul for the spiritual well-being of those charged to his care. May that example just convict us, resonate with us, encourage us, and give us joy as we work through the life of the church, just the equipping of the saints for the building up of the body. And may we all do our part. We all have gifts to use to build up the body. And Lord, I just pray that we would have active concern for one another. We would be joyful when there is good news about people doing well in the faith, and that we would just continue to want to equip and train one another and new people and, and even go beyond that and take the gospel to people who do not know it yet and then train and equip them like the Apostle Paul was doing with the Thessalonians. Lord, we know this is only by your grace. This is only through the power of your spirit, the work of Jesus Christ and your word guiding us through all of that. We need your help when we do this and we pray for it and just pray you would be glorified in all of these things. In Jesus' name. Amen.